you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Well, good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. It's so good to see you. If you're brand new with us, my name is Carrie. My wife and I are some of the pastors here at the Movement Church. She was the good-looking woman that was just up here a moment ago. We're so glad that all of you have come. I know that you're here for the inflatables and the churros, so we're glad that you're hanging with us. We'll be together for probably another 25 or 30 minutes. Can everybody just do me a favor? Can you just say churro? Say that. Oh, that was pretty good. Let's try it with a little more sass. Say churros. Man, it's going to be so good. I'm excited. And I have also seen the dunk tank out there. My wife made me bring a change of clothes, so I will probably be getting in there. But in order to throw at the dunk tank while I'm in there, it's $100 per ball. Just get ready for that. And that doesn't go to the church. It just goes to me. No, I'm kidding. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I hope you're ready for it. It's going to be a great time. I know that if you have kids with you today, they're having a blast right now because we are investing in children on a weekly basis. Now listen to me. We don't just have daycare or childcare over there. We've got men and women who are here tirelessly, relentlessly that believe in your kids. In fact, are speaking destiny in their life right now and tell them they can do it. They can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. So listen, I want you to know that's our heartbeat and that's why we're gonna party after this service. Everybody say party. So good, everybody say churro. Y'all didn't know I could actually say, roll that R like that, did you? Say churro, say that again. Awesome. I want to tell you about a couple of things that are coming up. You, you don't want to miss it. Starting next week, we're actually kicking off a brand new series called Summer Blast. Everybody say Summer Blast. On your way out, you're going to get an invite. It looks just like this, and it kind of talks about what is coming your way. It's a three-week series on the nine fruits of the Spirit. If you don't know what that is, it's no big deal. Just come and check it out. We have nine different communicators three different sermons per Sunday, 10 minutes to preach with a 10-minute clock behind them. I've heard all of the messages. They are going to be hysterically, profoundly impacting. You don't want to miss it. So make sure on your way out you grab that Summer Blast invite. Come hang out. But I've got another thing I want to tell you about. There's a lot of fun stuff coming your way. It's going to be exciting. In just a few weeks on September 17th, now whether you're new here or not, just cheer like we've been family for a long time. On September 17th, the Movement Church is celebrating its five-year anniversary. Come on. That's pretty awesome. We didn't think we'd be here after two weeks, and we're still here, so it's exciting, and you're a part of that. So we want to celebrate you. We've got a lot of great activities and food and snacks and all that kind of stuff, so Mark your calendar, September 17th at 9 and 11, but we're kicking off a new series on that Sunday called At the Movies. Everybody say, At the Movies. All of us love movies. Everybody here does. Whatever, I don't even know what your favorite is, but I know you've got at least one to ten favorite movies. And so our sermon series, we're going to take biblical principles and practical principles from classic movies that we all love. One of them 
is going to be Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's going to be exciting. Another will be Force Awakens by Star Wars, right? It is going to be, I'm not going to tell you the other two. It's going to be so exciting, but you don't want to miss it. It'll probably be the most entertaining and exciting sermon series you've ever been a part of for your church. We will be showing it right here on the screen. It is going to impact your life and we're going to have popcorn and candy every week, so it'll be like being at the movies. We've got characters coming in from Star Wars, Indiana Jones. We, I mean, there are so many great things happening. You do not want to miss it, so mark your calendars. September 17th, it's going to be fantastic. One more time, everybody say churros. <laughs> All right, we're done. That's it. If I don't get a churro, I'll be so angry, so somebody make sure there's one saved just for me. Thank you. So we are right now on the tail end of a series called Freeway. And we do that on, on Sunday mornings. We, each sermon is kind of like a chapter in a book and they all compile. And today's the last sermon for this seven week series. So it's kind of like coming into uh, Star Wars Episode 7, starting right there. But the good news is we've got you covered. We've got podcasts from all the previous weeks and you don't want to miss it. And here's the premise, the concept, the idea behind this. And and that's this. I, I don't know what it is that you believe. Everybody in here has a different story, different past, different faith background, and all of us from different walks and seasons of life. So if you're here and you're not sure what it is that you believe, permission to belong before you believe. I don't ever want you to feel like you have to believe what it is that we believe. But I want to just challenge you that so many people are going through life held in slavery to their hurts, habits and hang-ups like a prison inside and and I don't believe Jesus died so that you and I can live life bound by in slavery to our hurts habits and hang-ups we believe that God sent Jesus so that we can experience life the freeway and so we're on this journey of six different steps to freedom and in fact we've done small groups throughout this journey and we're kind of walking through this book called freeway which will reference some today and I want to just challenge you that you you can experience life in a way you never have before in fact let me tell you the the six steps we've talked about we're on the last and final chapter check this out step one we talked about awareness and awareness is realizing that there are things in my life that I need to deal with there are things in our life that that I've got to walk through and talk to listen we say this a lot at the movement church all of us have issues and if you don't think you have issues that is your issue right and awareness is just recognizing that and realizing that, man, we've got to understand there's some things we're navigating through and we're challenged with, right? Step two is discovery. Once we're aware of the things that are going on in our life, we actually have to do inventory of our own heart. What are the areas, the, the wounds or the poor choices or the hurts from our past that have become kind of a blockade for our life? And then the step three, which is probably the most challenging of this, is on ownership. Because here's the deal. Look at me in the eyes, everybody, for just a few seconds. Lean in. You are radically responsible for your own life. And while there are things that you and I may have experienced that hurt deeply, that were not your fault, it is your responsibility as to how you allow it to affect your life right now. And that leads right into step four, which is forgiveness. Because in order to experience freedom we are going to have to walk through the doors of forgiveness and let's be honest this isn't easy sometimes it's challenging sometimes to forgive those who have deeply hurt or offended us but also if we're honest i believe it's just as challenging to forgive ourselves 
Then last week, my wife preached a message on step five, which is acceptance. And that, that's the whole concept that we've got to live under the truth that God has for us and not the labels that the world gives us. And here's the challenging. She made a statement that was so profound. I kind of sunk in my chair. It kind of hit me in the chest. She said, hey, there are a lot of people who might say, I know that God loves me, but I'm pretty sure he's disappointed with me right now. And this whole chapter was the idea, the notion, the concept that, man, hey, look right here. God has never loved you more than he does in this very moment. And today, step six is freedom. Freedom. And I, I just want to ask that for the next few moments together, again, I, it's not about what you believe, but we're already here. The inflatables are up. Churros are being cooked as we speak. I might say that four more times today. Just get ready. But we're, we're already here. So why not just say, okay, I'm going to open my heart and my ears to hear and receive whatever it is that God may want to do today. Another way we say it is, I'm just going to give God permission to rearrange the furniture of my life. And I think if we can do that, something profound can happen. Would you do me a favor? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to pray to kick us off. And God, we just thank you that you're in this place. And, and truthfully, sometimes it's challenging to come into church because we, we may have had horrible experiences in the past or maybe we feel shame or regret. But God, I know that that's not the way that you view us. And so I just pray right now that above everything else that you'll do something miraculous, not mundane, not mediocre, not normal, but miraculous. That today, all of us that are here would leave just saying, you know what, I, I could do that, or I can see God at work in my life. We just, we don't want to walk out of here the same. We want to experience everything we can in and from you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Amen just means I agree, by the way. So just, yeah, sounds good. Or the pastor's really good looking. That's both the same exact thing. So, Hey, listen, we're going to dive into this, but here's my challenge. For those of you that have been with us for the past few weeks, I want to just challenge you to be careful not to allow these six topics that we're going over to become a checklist that we just kind of mark off. Oh, yep, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Because then what happens is we just kind of hear information or walk through a process, but don't actually allow God to do something inside and this journey of living life the freeway really is a journey that often takes reinvesting because freedom my friends is not a process it's a gift that's been given and I want to tell you this this is what this whole message and chapter is about this is less about what God wants to do in you and more about what God wants to do through you. If you want to maximize freedom in your life, then the way that that takes place is when we share our story. In fact, if you hear nothing else I say over the next 25 or so minutes together, if you hear nothing else that I say, here is just one statement, one sentence I would just ask, maybe take notes, jot this down. If you'd like to take notes, you can text the word notes to the number that's usually on the screen. And, but here's what I just want to challenge you with, one statement. You were rescued to be a rescuer. You were rescued to be a... If you're experiencing freedom, if you're experiencing God doing something in your life, He's not doing that just so you can be awesome. And you definitely are extremely awesome. But God rescues us so that we can be a rescuer. And this is reiterated in Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you don't have your Bible, we'll have it on the screen for you today. 2 Corinthians, the writer Paul is reiterating that to you and to me. He says this, anyone who belongs in Christ 
has become a new person. And for me, my friends, that's super encouraging. Because when I think about my life and my past, I, have, I don't want anything to do with that. So when I say yes to who Jesus is, he's saying, man, I've made Carrie Robinson a new person. He says the old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Look at this. For God was in Christ reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Oh, look at this. I love this statement. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. Everybody say ambassador. We're Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. And I love this last statement. Come back to God. God created you to be a rescuer. And I know, I know that the moment I say that, many of us in this room start to think of the disqualifiers in our life. Many of us in this room start to think of the things that should prevent me from actually being used by God. But I want to tell you that no matter your background, no matter your socioeconomic status, no matter your story, you were created to be a rescuer. And you might begin to think of the things that are negative and disqualifying. In fact, in this book, during the week of acceptance, there was an, an exercise that we walked through and the writer, Mike Foster, put a blank piece of paper and at the very top it said, Write some, or, this space is for negative comments and thoughts. And I just began to write the things that I felt about myself, the negativity and the, the things that I would use as disqualifiers. And maybe you're here today and you can immediately think of the things that disqualify you from being a rescuer. Maybe it's as simple as saying something along the lines of, I just don't know enough Bible verses. I heard Pastor Megan get up here and say just a quick verse, and man, how does she know all these things? I, I don't know the Bible like she does. That's a disqualifier. Maybe it's simple, like I just don't pray enough. Or maybe for some of us in this room, it's not simple. It's more like I'm addicted to narcotics or alcohol or pills, or Pinterest, and you laugh, but I just saw a husband nudge his wife like, hey, he's talking to you, or maybe it's an addiction to your career, or perhaps the negative thoughts and comments that come into your mind when you hear someone tell you that you were created to rescue people is, but wait a minute, I've got a failed marriage in my past, or a failed business or maybe if you identify with this next statement I can identify with you I am a failure and these are the things that would pop into our mind when someone says you're rescued to be a rescuer because we think there's no way that God can if you knew my journey if you knew my past then you couldn't and wouldn't say such a thing Pastor Kerry but then at the bottom of this page in this exercise the author Mike Foster he says now get a piece of paper cut it out and glue it over those negative statements and write the word grace on top of it because God comes in in the deepest darkest of our moments and of our life and he says, I have unyielding, unwavering grace that no man deserves, but yet I give it freely. I love the idea, and really another major statement from tonight is that I believe, or today, God wants to leverage your past to help others find 
freedom. He wants to leverage the things that you've walked through, the journey that you've been on, the story of betrayal, the story of poor choices, the story of life of sin over and over and over again. He wants to use that as he's rescuing us to be a rescuer, even if you're not fully whole yet. I love what this next author says, and I, I put it up on the screen for you. His name is Brendan Manning, and I just think it's such a profound statement. Check this out. In a futile attempt to erase our past, we deprive the community of our healing gift. If we conceal our wounds out of fear and shame, our inner darkness can neither be illuminated nor become a light for others. But when we live as forgiven men and women, we join the wounded healers and draw close to God. I love that component, the wounded healers, identifying that we don't have to be perfectly whole to help rescue people, which means that there is a beauty in our wounds. Another way of saying that is that God never wastes a pain. And you might be able to identify a season or a moment of your life or maybe today you're walking through that. Feelings of betrayal. The, the tragedy of walking through signing of the divorce papers or maybe it was the prognosis or diagnosis that a doctor slid across the table which was in essence a death sentence. I don't know what your hurt or your pain is but God never wastes a pain. See, our tendency is to run and hide. We want to run and hide from the things that hurt, the things that pull us down. And, and I, I feel like in doing so, we actually rob others from seeing Jesus in our wounds. And I grew up in a, a home with seven kids. My mom and dad were all biologically related. It just means my mom and dad like making kids. I don't know if they really love kids. And so I'm... That was a lot funnier than you laughed right there. I'm one of seven kids, right? There's a 22-year gap from the oldest to the youngest. And so that meant that a lot of the time you had to fend for yourself. At the dinner table, if the food plate passed around, you better get everything you need because by the time it gets back around, it's going to be empty, my friends. I grew up in the South, and so if, if you got hurt and ran inside, my dad needed to see a bone protruding from skin, or I had to be bleeding out, or he'd say, get up and go back outside and play. Anybody else raised like this? Man, four of you, I'm, you're blessed. You're, you're blessed. I just say it's spit, grit, and duct tape. That's how I was raised. And man, that's way funnier than you're laughing right now. And I remember as a kid, just when I would get scars or cuts on my arm, I would love just the way that they looked. And I'll never forget one time I was in Mexico and I scraped my arm and it looked like a, a mini bobcat just kind of went like this on my arm and I let it get infected and I picked at it and I let it scab over because here's the truth. It was just a rail of a stairway. So don't tell any that, anybody that part. But I wanted to say when people ask, where'd you get that scar? Oh, I got it in Mexico. Like, that's what I wanted to say. Like, I was proud. And it's still there, although I'm older. And so it's just kind of, just much more flabby now. Anyway, so listen, we, 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 I used to be super proud of my scars. And I think sometimes in life, when it comes to the real wounds that we walk through, we're more ashamed of them than anything. But, but God doesn't waste a pain. I just wonder how many people, maybe for you it's a limp, not a real limp, but a proverbial limp. 
because of something that you went through and, and, and you try to hide it and try to cover it as though it really isn't a limp and you adjust your walk and adjust your lifestyle, but it's still there. And I just wonder how many people, if they were able to stop and say, hey, where'd you get that limp? You could come in and go, oh, let me tell you a story of God's grace and mercy and hope. Now, they may not know the pain and the weight and the shame that is accompanied with that limp because they haven't walked in your shoes. But I wonder how many people in your world just need to hear the story of the limp or the wound or the scar just so they can know, hey, if you can make it, maybe I can too. For some reason, we try to hide these things. And I think also it's because we believe that God recruits from the platform. Well, sure, I hear Pastor Carrie wax poetically, or when Megan gets up there, she drops bombs, and I'm just blown away, and she's gorgeous and beautiful and mesmerized. That's what I'm thinking. I'm just typing notes of how beautiful she is, and, and we think, yeah, I get it. She can be used. That gift mixer, Pastor Jeremy, when he's playing the guitar, or this team when they're singing, yeah, listen to how great their voice is. Sure, they can be used to rescue people, but my friends, I want to encourage you and tell you today that God never recruits from the platform or the pedestal. He actually recruits from the pits and often the prison. It's in the season and the moments when we're at our darkest that he leans in the closest and he says, look, I know this hurts right now, but there's something in you that is going to be freeing for somebody else. Here's what I believe with all my heart that God can use your biggest failure to be a launch pad into your greatest calling. Not just that God can lean in for a moment, friends. I actually believe God wants to use your greatest failure as a launch pad into your greatest calling. And this is a scary notion. It's a scary concept, actually. And let me tell you why. Because when the rescued actually begin to rescue, it turns the world upside down. And in a nation that we live in that is ripped apart by racism and hatred, we need to be turned upside down. Let's make it a little smaller in a state that needs to know the hope of who Jesus is. We need, let's make it a little bit smaller, Orange County or maybe your city or perhaps even your street. The office where you work, the pickup line where you get your kids after school, the classroom that you sit in at Saddleback College, and, and you just think that you sat by that person for three weeks accidentally. And maybe they just need to know about that scar and how you made it through. This is reiterated in Scripture, and one of my favorite stories that talks about this that you may have heard before, and if you haven't, it's okay, I want to share it with you today. And, and the truth is, this is like a story that happens over about 30 verses, and I could take a sermon every week for the next five years and not even scratch the surface of the potency and the power of what God did in this story. But for the sake of time today and churros, I want to just share a few... That was twice now. i got two more before we're done. It's going to happen. So I want to share with you a little bit of this story about what happened when someone was rescued from pain and shame and became a rescuer. It's found in John chapter 4. And we find Jesus on his way from a region in Israel called Judea to a place called Galilee. 
I want to read a, a short passage and I want to draw your attention to a few statements as we unpack this today. John chapter 4 verse 3 it says this, So he, he in this passage is Jesus, so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. And this is the first statement I want to draw your attention to. Verse 4, he had to go through Samaria. If you have a digital Bible, highlight this. If you have an old school Bible, underline it. If you have no Bible, we'll get you one, and then you can underline it. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat down wearily beside the well at about noontime. That's the next thing I want you to pay attention to, at about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please, give me a drink. The first statement I just want to draw your attention to is he had to go through Samaria. What you probably or may not know is that Going from Judea to Galilee would be like going from San Diego to L.A. And Samaria would be like Orange County. So naturally, you would get on the 5 and you would head up. And depending on where you needed to go in L.A., you would either stay on the 5 or jump on the 405 and take the shortest route possible, especially if it's traffic time. Actually, you wouldn't even do that in traffic time because you're smarter than that. Amen? Yes. And so this makes sense. And in these days, Jesus was traveling either walking by camel or by donkey. So this journey from Judea to Galilee was about two and a half days. And so it made sense, the shortest route, right through Orange County, right through Samaria. This makes the most sense unless you were a Jew in these times. Because Jews hated Samaritans with a passion. And rightfully so to a certain extent. I'm not saying it's okay to hate. What I'm saying is they were justified in some of their feelings because their hatred stemmed from the fact that Samaritans were a half-breed between Jewish people and Gentiles. If you're a Harry Potter fan, they'd be called mudbloods. And so they I mean, seriously, that was really good. Nothing. All right, we'll move on. There's this half-breed, and what would happen is when the Jewish people had favor on them and everything was good, they would claim to be Jewish. But then when the enemy would come in and take them captive, the Samaritans would say, no, 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 we're not with them. And so they would abandon them when the Jews needed them, and they would jump on board in the family when things were good. And then at times, they would raid the temple or the church. It didn't look like Serrano Intermediate. It was a very big, very holy, very, very traditional place. And they graffitied it up and tagged it with spray paint and desecrated the temple. And so Jews had this disdain, this hatred for Samaritans. And here's Jesus, who is a Bible teacher. In those days, they referred to him as a rabbi. And a rabbi or a Bible teacher would never, ever, ever go through Samaria. They would actually go all the way outside, cross over the Jordan River twice, like taking the 15 to the 215 to the 10 and dropping into L.A. in the middle of traffic time because they didn't care. We're not going through Samaria. And yet Jesus had to go through Samaria. And this term had is not a statement of direction, but a statement of conviction. Jesus had a divine appointment with this woman at the well. He had to go through Samaria. He had a divine appointment with this woman who just needed hope. 
which means, my friends, that divine appointments are often a matter of choice and not chance. Look at me. A divine appointment means that God knew that Jesus needed to encounter this woman to bring the hope of who Jesus was to her. And listen to me, my friends. There are people in your world that need to know your story. Not my story. Your story. And God placed you in their neighborhood, placed you in that company, placed you in that school, placed you on that team. You were rescued to be a rescuer. So here's a question to ask. What do you need to change in order to create some divine appointments in your world? Are your eyes open to the people in your world that need to hear your story? Maybe for you it's as simple as not pulling in to the garage, closing the door, getting out and going inside, but taking a moment to meet the neighbors that live around you. Asking a tough question or seeing how I can pray for you. Why? Because people need to hear your story. Another statement that I want to draw your attention to is the time frame. So that Jesus was tired, so he sat down by the well at about noontime. What you may or may not realize is in these days it was the women who would draw water from the well. And they would go out to draw water at two times of the day every day. They would do it in the morning and in the evening, at dawn and at dusk. Why? Because they would avoid the hottest part of the day. They would go and draw a well, take it back home, use it throughout the day. Then at about sunset they'd go back and get what they needed for the evening. And they would do this over and over again. And yet this woman is showing up at the well at about noontime. And the reason she was doing this is because she had a bad reputation in that village. Everybody knew her story. And the reputation actually made sense to a certain group of people because now she's been married to five different men, five failed marriages, and now she's living with a six who's not her husband. That community had given her a label, so she went at noontime to avoid having to overhear the catty conversations of other women talk about her, mock her, and make those same faces they had done every day. So I'm going to go at noon because I just can't bear the shame and the weight of this. I'm here in this situation, and I don't know what else to do. I just really need some hope, but for right now, I'll just walk to a well and get some water. Little did she know that she was headed for a divine appointment. And then the narrative changes, the narrative shifts, and Jesus speaks to her, please, would you give me a drink? A Jewish man would rarely speak to a woman that was not his wife, and he would never, ever speak to a Samaritan woman. And she knows this. She knows this because in a few chapters, a few verses, she iterates that. She goes, why are you talking to me? For you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. She knew the label that everyone had placed on her. She knew what everybody thought about her. So it didn't make sense that here's this guy speaking to her now. And yet Jesus still speaks. And it's as if in the simplicity of a conversation, Jesus is doing what he does so well. And he's making this declaration. That there's nothing you can do that would separate my love from you. Making this declaration that no one is outside of the reach of God's grace and mercy in a simple conversation as Jesus did so well in a way that was only unique to her. As does he do in scenarios like this. When you just kind of feel on the inside God saying, hey, there's some things you can work on. Jesus begins to talk to her about a free and full life. Not a busy life, a fulfilled life that only Christ can offer. 
And in this kind of uniquely ironic scenario, he even identifies that he knows her past. And he said, hey, why don't you go get your husband? She said, I, I can't, I'm not married. He goes, yeah, that's right. You've been married five times and the guy that you're living with, he's not your husband. And it blew her mind. And Jesus was reaching out to say, hey, the things that you feel are disqualifiers and the labels that this world has put on you do not disqualify you from my grace and my mercy. I was there in that moment too and I still choose to love you. Jesus was rescuing this woman. He was speaking not from the words of shame and condemnation, but he was speaking with words that uttered the essence of grace and mercy and love. In fact, I believe that Jesus is probably the first man in a long time who speaks to her about her promising future. I mean, imagine every relationship she would be in after five failed marriages. Nobody had hope for her. And here comes this man who actually believes that she has a promising future. So something on the inside is beginning to stir because she realizes, wait, maybe I'm not bound by the shame of my past. And then she, in her own way, unique way, asks a simple question, but what I believe she was reiterating from her heart was, are you the fulfillment that I've been seeking in every relationship I've ever been in? Are you the freedom that I've been searching for? Are you the Messiah, the Christ? And Jesus answers so graciously, I am He. And something profound takes place. He says, I am he. And in that moment, this truth that was spoken became a reality to her. She knew it to be true. It was the truth that eventually changed things in her life. It was the truth that became freedom for her. And this makes sense because the Bible says, you've probably heard this before, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. This truth, my friends, it rescued her from a state of shame and condemnation. It rescued her from the labels that her community had placed on her and it rescued her from being bound by and stuck in the past. And what was her response to being rescued? We pick up on this exciting portion of the story in verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see, come and see a man who told me everything I did. And that may sound like a weird statement, but I believe in her heart what she's saying is a man that knows me, knows my past, knows my shame and still loves me. Come and see, come and see. Could he possibly be the Messiah? The Bible says that the people came streaming in from the village to see him. A few verses later, the Bible says, many in the village believed, listen, because of her testimony. Because she said, here are my wounds. Here are my scars. Yeah, here's the limp that I had for so long. Remember, you were here for all five of my failed marriages. But yet I found a man who loved me in spite of me because of the wounds that she had. She was rescued 
to be a rescuer. Look at me in the eyes for a moment with just a few moments left today in our time together before we eat churros. One more. Who in your life needs to be rescued? Who in your life needs to hear your story? Who needs to see your scars and your wounds? Quit hiding behind fear and shame and negative thoughts and what you feel are disqualifiers and start to live life the free way. Remember, our freedom is maximized when we share our story. And here's some good news for all of us today. Look at me, lean in just a few seconds longer. God is still writing your story. In the last chapter of our book, spoiler alert if you haven't gotten there yet, the author Mike Foster writes, wrote something so profound. I, I want to read this to you today, and then I've got a gift for you. It says this, in 1494, the semicolon was born, fathered by the Italian printer Aldus. This quirky little punctuation mark has lived quite a marvelous life. It appeared in great literature, and it separates our friends' addresses and our emails, and is a whimsical emoticon to show that someone is winking. No one could have predicted back in 1494 the influential life the semicolon would live. But it makes sense, considering its original point for coming into the world, for writers, a semicolon is applied when a sentence might have ended but continued on. Instead of closing the thought, the author went forward with one more additional idea. God uses semicolons freely in our stories. As he writes our next chapter, he transitions its painful passages of our past into a beautiful future. When, the thought, when we thought the sentence was done, but oh no, he was just transitioning. What a thrill it is to know that God is grabbing his favorite Mont Blanc fountain pen and is outlining a Pulitzer Prize winner with you as the lead character. If you thought Hemingway and Steinbeck and Dickens could have crafted a fine sentence, wait till you see what the author of all stories is scripting just for you. He's not finished with your story yet. I've got a gift for you. The ushers are going to go ahead and come and pass these out. I hope we have enough for everybody. If we don't, you can text semicolon to our number. We'll make some more and send it. I'm not kidding. We'll make some more and send it to you. It's this little piece of metal. It's got a little hole up at the top. You can put it on your keychain. You can make it into a necklace. You can throw it away and break my heart. That's fine too. And stamped into this is just a simple semicolon. Giving it to everybody here today and as I was preparing for this, I just thought, I, I want to leave everybody with an opportunity, a token, something to remember what today is about. Because in just a few moments, we'll step outside, eat some churros, and possibly forget the message. But my hope is that at least you'll take this token with me, with you home. And, and listen, I know it's distracting having the past and it sounds like coins, but just hang with me for a moment. Some of you really need this as a reminder today.
I think about my connect group yesterday. Nine of us guys that just gathered together to be real and authentic and many people struggling with some crazy things. Some setbacks, some hurts, some hangups, some habits. And just to celebrate the stories of what in their mind might feel like a disqualifier really is a victory. And so maybe you're here today and you can identify. My prayer and my hope is that every time you look at this semicolon, may you be reminded that your story isn't finished yet. In fact, it's just beginning. Or perhaps just transitioning. But also I would ask that every time you see the semicolon, may you be reminded that your story needs to be known by the people in your world. There are people on, in your neighborhood, on your street, at your work, at your school, that just need to know that God has a semicolon in store for them as well. That he's not finished writing their story, that this is only the beginning and that no matter their story, no matter their past, no matter their belief, they are loved. And God's not waiting on me to share that story with them. He's waiting on you to take what seems like a horrible wound and turn it into something beautiful. How many of you just with some sincere honesty would say, you know what, I know some people in my world who need to know there's hope. Would you just raise your hand? Awesome, thank you, thank you for being honest. Can I pray for us today for some courage that God would give us the strength and the courage to share our story? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we're almost finished with our time together today? God, I thank you that you're in this place and I just pray God for all of us here that you would give us the strength and the courage to share our story, the scars and the wounds that we have with the people that are in our world. That we don't have to hide behind shame and pain, condemnation or regret, but God, that we can step up boldly, recognizing that, yeah, I may walk with a limp, I may have a scar, but God's gonna use that to help people be rescued and to experience freedom, that God's gonna leverage my pain to help people experience freedom. God, give us the boldness and the courage to share our story. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. One more thing before we go, we're almost there. We do this every Sunday in every service because this, here's the thing about God, and, and this walk and experiencing life the freeway it, it doesn't come through osmosis and it isn't about church attendance or spiritual heritage but there's actually a starting line a threshold that I've got to cross over to experience the fullness of what Jesus has done for me and here's the good news for many of us today it's not about getting all cleaned up and getting your act together and get everything perfect in your life or eradicating your past it's just simply saying yes to Jesus. And he, in his profound way, gives us the strength to work on the things we need to work on. But there is a starting point. In a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to start that journey. Look at me in the eyes. There's no embarrassment. I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat. But I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want to challenge you right where you're at. If you've never prayed this prayer before, today's your day. Start this journey with him. Life doesn't get perfect, but man, it gets good. I experience freedom. And maybe you're here today and you might have prayed this prayer before, but you've been running from God. 
And today is your day to just stop running and pray this prayer with me again. No embarrassment. Just start a journey. Would you do me a favor? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Nobody moving, nobody looking around. If you're here and you've never prayed this prayer, or maybe it's time to pray it again for the first time in a long time, just right where you're seated in the quietness of your own heart or in a small whisper, I want to challenge you just to pray this with me. Just say, dear God, I know that you're real and that you love me. You've given me purpose. I'm not perfect, God. I've got some sin in my life. Would you forgive me? Now just make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.